Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's easy to frame losing some political debate as a form of persecution, but it's nowhere close to the persecution many of our brothers and sisters face worldwide. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Counterculture with this sermon entitled Blessed Are the Persecuted, which covers Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake for the kingdoms and God of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were there before you. Thank you, Jason. And let's remain standing as we say together, as we pray together aloud our prayer of illumination. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, Grant us all that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. I heard a few, uh, a few whispers out there from our students as they were going along with Jason. In the nine o'clock, it was the same thing. I could hear a little few whispers. And so anyway, thank you for doing that if you did. This morning's sermon, we'll be wrapping up our counterculture series. And uh, as we have walked through the Beatitudes, our, our focus this morning will be on the last Beatitude, blessed are ble- or blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the nature of this sermon, just by nature, is going to be heavy. It's going to be uh, even hard-hitting at some level. Some of us might walk out of here this morning feeling like we've been roughed up a little bit. And that is certainly not my intention by any means. Uh, But that's how I have experienced this passage this week. The Lord awakening me yet again to the reality of the kingdom of God and the way of the kingdom of God. And and really what what Jesus is doing, I'll just remind you in our series, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he's laying out for us what what is the normative culture, what is the way of the kingdom of God. This is how we go about living as those who follow the king in his kingdom. And the ways in which we live out the various things that Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the mournful, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, hunger and thirst for righteousness, peacemakers, so on and so forth. The way we live that out is by nature so very countercultural. I talked to you about the three rivers. I'll mention them quickly. There's the river of the way of the world, that if you're swimming in the current of that river, you're swimming in a certain direction that would be very much 
most of the time, 180 degrees different from the river of the kingdom of God. There's another river, though, the second river, which is the, the river of the, of the church, big C, church holistically. We'll think specifically of the church in America. And as we think about the current of that river, some of the things that we have done and do and live and say and operate in that river is in line with the kingdom of God. But over the years and over time, we've allowed some knowingly, some unknowingly, the sediment, if you will, of the river of the kingdom of the world fall into the river of the way of the church. And we have to look very honestly at ourselves and our hearts and evaluate, is what we are doing and how we are living and the ways in which we are conducting life in the way of the church, is it fully in line with the third river, which is the way of the kingdom of God? And so as we consider that, Jesus says something, as all of the Beatitudes are, but this one might be the most profound. When we think about persecution, it's, it's always helpful, at least for me, to get a little bit of an orientation to the reality of where persecution is happening and to what extent it's happening in the world around us. We tend to, at least I do, get in our bubbles here where most of the time things feel safe and we don't feel certain uh, persecution that other places in the church are. And I'll talk a little bit more later about how sometimes we will call things in America persecution that those in other parts of the world who are being persecuted would laugh at. And they say, you might be getting pressed on a little bit, but you're not getting persecuted. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. But listen to some of these statistics. Christian persecution is higher today than in any other time in modern history. These, these are some things that, I'm, that I've gotten from a great resource called Open Doors USA. If you go to opendoorsusa.org, you can read all kinds of not only statistics, but stories and ways to pray for those who are being persecuted around the world for their faith. Another great resource, if you want to jot this one down as well, is Voice of the Martyrs, which their website is persecuted.com. Persecuted.com, another great resource. According to Open Doors USA, which I find to be probably the most helpful and accurate place to find these type things, over 340 million Christians are currently living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 340 million. You might be able to guess where some of those places might be. North Korea certainly has uh, been at the top of that list for quite some time. Uh, many of the countries in the Middle East, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, so on. You may or may not know that India is now becoming very quickly a high a place of high persecution for the church. In fact, I was made aware this morning before the nine o'clock service that a friend of ours who is a pastor in India as a part of our partnership there, he has a friend that we don't know personally, but who is also a pastor and he was killed just last week for his faith in Jesus. A country though, I wanna zoom in on one country very quickly here that you may not realize what's happening and it's the country of Nigeria. In Nigeria, a Christian is killed for their faith every two hours on average. That's nearly 13 Christians a day and 372 Christians a month. Research for the 2022 World Watch List from Open Doors USA reveals that in 2021, more Christians were murdered for their faith in Nigeria than any other country. Last year, Nigeria accounted for nearly 80% of Christian deaths worldwide with more than 4,650 believers killed. This death toll, once again, for the second year in a row, makes Nigeria the world's most violent place to live as a follower of Jesus. 
Open Doors CEO David Curry said, we can, we can document that 4,650 Nigerian Christians were killed during the past year, but those are just the ones we know about. He says, these are just the ones that we know about and, and can report. These people were tracked, targeted, raped, and killed just because they were Christians. It's sobering, it's stunning, it's shocking, it's saddening. But here's another word that you may not have thought of. It's blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. I'll tell you, just personally, I don't, I don't often think when I see or, or hear or read reports like this and I begin to get out of my safety bubble here and look at the world around, I don't typically think, wow, those people are blessed. But in the way of the kingdom of God, in the topsy-turvy, upside-down, counter-cultural, counter-intuitive kingdom of God, persecution is the norm. It's the normative culture of the kingdom of God. When we talk about blessed or blessed, that word in the Greek, makarios, we tried to define it. It's a rich word. We've tried to define it in this series, and we've done it a few different ways to try to draw the full picture. One of the ways that we've defined it is to say that what that word is getting at is soul-satisfying happiness. Soul-satisfying happiness. Another way is we said that it's a gracious disposition that leads to flourishing. A gracious disposition that leads to flourishing. Just this week, I read another way of putting it from one of my favorite authors, John Stott, who said, uh, it's one who has the approval of God and finds self-fulfillment as a human being. So we might read it like this and, help, and it might help us get a better picture of what Jesus means when he says blessed. We could say it this way. We could say soul-satisfyingly happy are the persecuted. We could say graciously flourishing are the persecuted. We could also say approved by God and self-fulfilled are the persecuted. How in the world could Jesus say this? And even if he said it, which certainly we believe that what Matthew has recorded for us here is true and accurate, how could it be true? Let me read for us again what Jason read for us, just the focuses, the, the, the verses that focus on our, on our uh, theme this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other, utter other, uh, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of the things that I... I like to do, um, whenever I'm in a conversation where the opportunity presents itself with, with other Christians, is I'll say, hey, I would really encourage you, if you haven't already, 
would really encourage you to begin taking some trips to other places in the world and observe the church there. Observe Christians there. And because here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a people, especially if you go to some of these places that uh, are third world. You're going to see a people who have so very little. You're going to see a people who, because of just circumstances and situations in their life, circumstantially, it's not easy. And they do not by any means live in comfort. And depending on where you go, you're going to see a people who are absolutely being persecuted. Some by extremist groups from other religions, some by the government itself, some both. And persecution to varying degrees. Some of it will be physical persecution where their lives are truly in danger. Some of it will be verbal, even as we see Jesus lay out for us here in this text. Some of it's verbal. Some of it is insults. That's what that word revile, when others revile you. It means when others insult you and utter all kinds of evil about you. Now listen, this is a key word, falsely. Falsely. And you'll watch these other believers, and here's what you'll begin to see, is you'll see a people who are almost entirely across the board, soul-satisfyingly happy. And as Americans, we go, how? How, how are you so happy? How are you so content? How is your disposition one of such gracious flourishing when you have so very little and when you are being persecuted. And what God begins to do when we're able to do that, not all of us are, but when, when we are able to travel in that way, and if we aren't, then how can we educate ourselves in such a way through some of these websites like I gave you to be able to see the bigger picture of the church? And we will begin to see God stripping away from us all the things that we try to be soul-satisfyingly happy in. All these things that we say, that's gonna do it for me, materialistically. That's gonna do it for me socially. That's gonna do it for me monetarily. All these things are gonna give me that soul-satisfying happiness that I've been longing for. And then you'll see a people persecuted, and they have what nothing we try to find it in can give. They have it. Now, it's not, here's something important to, to clarify. It's not that persecution gives you those things. Persecution's horrible. It's hard. From a human standpoint, it stinks. So it's not persecution that gives you soul-satisfying happiness. It's Jesus. And what the persecution does is the persecution strips away all those things so that we see and behold and embrace and cling to and depend upon and worship and be satisfied in him. Because the persecution has taken all the other and burned it. And so blessed, blessed are the persecuted. I want to focus in on three things this morning as a part of this text. First, what persecution is. Secondly, what persecution does. 
And then third, what persecution brings. First, what it is. Let's, let's define it simply as this. Persecution is the suffering and hardship that accompanies being a part of the kingdom of God and a disciple of Jesus. It's just what accompanies that. It is to be expected, and in fact, it is promised. Look at this passage, this verse here in 2 Timothy 3.12. is Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing Timothy. And he tells Timothy this. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Will be. If we're longing to be godly, glorifying to God in Jesus, we will be persecuted. It's not if, it's when. That wasn't a promise just for Timothy in his first century context. That's a promise for the whole church throughout time. We see in the early church, Acts 14, when they had preached the gospel to that city, that city was Derby, and had made many disciples there, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and then listen, and saying that through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. First church understood it to be this is just part of the way of the kingdom of God. Now, he, what's not being said there is it's not, that's how we get into the kingdom of God. It's saying that it is the way of the kingdom of God. When you know Jesus, when you've been bought by him through faith in Christ, you enter into the way of the kingdom of God at that point as a servant of the king. And in so doing, we should expect hardship. We should expect tribulation. It will be a part of our experience. Jesus even said, John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. Why? Because in this world, there will be tri tribulation. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus was framing things in such a way to say, even in the midst of the tribulation, even in the midst of the persecution, you can have peace. And it's not found out there circumstantially. It's found in here relationally with him. Persecution is part of the normative culture in the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting. If you were to go and talk with people who are a part of the church in some of these foreign lands, we call them here in the West, we tend to say that's the persecuted church. But if you talk to them, they just say we're the church. They don't think of themselves as persecuted necessarily. Why? Because it's normal. It's their only context. So what makes it uniquely Christian? How do we know we're being persecuted? What is Christian persecution? Well, the text, as Jesus teaches us here, gives us two indications, two markers of Christian kingdom persecution. First is that it's persecution for righteousness sake. For righteousness sake, for the ways in which the kingdom of God is coming in us and through us to bring the rule and reign of God. That things would be right. That as we are helping the rule and reign of God come to bear in us and through us, we're being persecuted for it. The second is that it's persecution on Jesus's account. Your translation may say, or in my name, 
or on my account, Jesus speaking. The persecution comes not because of things that we have brought upon ourselves, because of something we've done necessarily about us, but because it's being done in him and for him and to the glory of the king. It's on Jesus's account. So maybe another question to say would be, what, what, what persecution isn't? What isn't persecution? Let me give you a couple of, of thoughts here. First, we absolutely have to be a people. Part of our calling in the church as gospel people is to expose darkness, for sure, which means we stand on the truth of God's word. We live lives that are in line with the truth of the gospel in word and in deed. And so we have to be a people who, yes, we expose darkness, and yes, we stand on truth. But how? This is key, and this is, this is, as you've heard me talk about before, this is what the American church has really, really struggled with in recent years, really struggled with, is on one side of the equation, we say, man, we gotta stand on truth as the culture, the world's culture around us falls by the wayside. And I would say yes and amen. We have to. We have to expose darkness and stand on truth. But there's a key thing, question to be asked here, and that's the question, how? How do we do that? And let me put it to you this way. We do it by our disposition, not our opposition. We do it by our disposition. We stand on truth, and people are offended by our disposition not our opposition. We get that confused. We can be brutally oppositional, arrogantly oppositional, and then call what we get in return persecution when it's not. It's just people responding in kind. Let me put it to you this way. We don't get the right to be condemning and condescending and judgmental and vitriolic we don't get the right to do that and then how people respond to us say, I'm being persecuted. That's not persecution. Why? Because it's not the way of Jesus. Why do you think Jesus reserved blessed are the persecuted for the very last beatitude? Here's why. In part, the beatitudes can all stand on their own. You can teach each one and have a full sermon from each one. They can stand on their own. But secondly, they do build it off each other to some degree. They do play off each other at some level. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, okay, so look, this is the way, this is the current. These are the rapids, if you will, of the river of the kingdom of God. It's poor in spirit. It's meek. It's mourning. It's hunger and thirsting for righteousness. It's merciful, it's pure in heart, it's being a peacemaker. It's those things, it's the disposition of someone who knows Jesus intimately because all of those things is who he is. And then when we let him have his way in us such that that is our disposition with the world around us, what happens? We're persecuted. The Beatitudes in and of themselves are by nature offensive to a world that knows nothing of that disposition. Nothing. So what do we do when we actually adopt the way of the current of the river of the world to stand for truth? 
We undermine the very disposition of the Beatitudes that God said, go and walk in this way. We cut our legs out from under us. We argue is the way the world argues and no one listens. And the reason they don't listen is because they see nothing different about us. Nothing. Because what if, what if there were a people so big in number, not just Perimeter Church, but the church in America that was experiencing everything else the world is experiencing, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the persecution, all the junk, and instead of responding the way the world does, we are responding with poor in spirit, meek, mourning, merciful, pure in heart, hunger and thirst for righteousness, peacemakers, and then at that point they go, who are you? You're weird. How could you respond that way? You're so very different. And then that's when we say, it's Jesus. And I have a completely different worldview than you do. And I understand why you hate my worldview. I get it. But isn't Jesus beautiful? Isn't he just, don't you want to be with someone like him? Because what you've seen in me is him times quadrillion. Don't you want that? Man, what if the church did our apologetics that way? How different would our influence and impact in the kingdom throughout the world be? Luke 6.26 says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. If our aim in our Christian living is to get the world to approve of us, we're doing something wrong. But it's how we do it. It's how we do it that makes all the difference. Very quickly here, what persecution does? Persecution first reveals it reveals, I love Thomas Watson here. He says what he says. He says, unsound hearts look good in times of prosperity, but in times of persecution, they fall away. Persecution reveals our hearts. It reveals the substance of our faith. Times of persecution are times of sifting who has faith that perseveres and who doesn't. Persecution, secondly, purifies. Persecution puts us in the bright, hot center of the flame of purifying us to make us more like Jesus. Persecution leads us there to purge us of our pride, of our impatience, and in our, of our love for the world. Peter said this in his first letter. He said, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Later in that same letter, letter he says this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Friends, don't miss this. Christ died to take away the curse of sin, but he also died to share with us the cross. 
Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily, denying yourself and follow me. We are united to Jesus, which means we are united to him in his death. We are united to him in his resurrection. We are united to him in, in his ascension. But we are also united to him in every other way as well, which means that we are united to him such that we share in his sufferings. And if you want the kingdom of God without the sufferings of Jesus, you will not get the kingdom of God. It's a part of what comes with it. We cannot have the comfort and ease that we dream of in America and chase after the kingdom of God at the same time. It's just not how it works. What persecution brings, is there any good news in this? This is a heavy sermon, I told you. Some of you may not be Christians going, why would I ever wanna be a Christian? Here's why. First, persecution brings the reality of the kingdom of God. For believers, we are persecuted now, we are, we are crowned later. We are persecuted in the, in the present, we are crowned in eternity. Jesus makes an incredible promise. He says, for those that are in him, that when he comes and to reign again, that we will reign with him. I have no idea what that's gonna look like. It's a baffling, mysterious statement. How are we gonna reign with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth? I don't fully get it, I don't really know, but I just know that according to the word of God, it's going to be glorious. And so we have the ability now in the persecutions that we face now to embrace the reality of the kingdom now in part because there is joy now in Jesus, but the greater joy to come when he comes again. So with that, secondly, what, is the, what does persecution bring? It brings the reality of the kingdom, but also brings the joy of the coming kingdom. Luke 6.23, this is Luke's account Right after he shared his account of the Beatitudes, he says this, rejoice in that day, talking about persecution, when you're persecuted, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Acts 5, 41 says, then they left the presence of the council where they had just been beaten, these early Christians. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then, of course, James, many of you know this passage, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, I want to be clear about something. Persecution itself is not what brings the joy. I want to say that again. It's not the persecution that brings the joy. It's what persecution strips away so that we can find our joy all the more in Jesus. He is the treasure of the kingdom. He is the one that meets us at every step along the way. He is the gentle and lowly one who sustains us, but doesn't just sustain us, he strengthens us. And what does he strengthen us for? He strengthens us for this world where there will be persecution. And while doing that, he gives us more of himself. And we find joy in him and in his kingdom. Let me close with two more quotes. One is from an old German theologian who said this, anyone who enters into fellowship with Jesus must undergo a transvaluation of values. In other words, what are you currently valuing? 
Pause and evaluate those values. Do they align with the river, the current of the river of the kingdom of God? And John Stott summed it up incredibly well when he said this. Such a reversal of human values is basic to biblical religion. The ways of the God of scripture appear to be topsy-turvy to men. For God exalts the humble and abases the proud, calls the first last and the last first, ascribes greatness to the servant, sends the rich away empty-handed, and declares the meek to be his heirs. The culture of the world and the counterculture of Christ are at loggerheads with each other. In brief, Jesus congratulates those whom the world most pities and calls the world's rejects blessed. Every day, I want to encourage you to do something every day, at least for the foreseeable future. Coming out of this series, I want to encourage you to wake up every morning and get alone with the Lord. And if it's nothing more than just what I'm about to tell you, then so be it. It's enough, and you can build on this. Get along with the Lord and just simply say, oh God, I want to walk. I want to swim. You can't walk. I want to swim in the river, of the current of the kingdom of God. I can't do it. Left unto myself, every single time I will swim with the current of the river of the world. And so, oh God, strip away, strip away all the, all the stuff that I cling to that's of that world. Give me more of you and give me strength through your Holy Spirit to swim this way, to swim with this current unto your glory. Every morning is a reevaluation of what I am valuing as I wake up that morning and laying it before God and saying, God, would you do in me what only you can? Make me more like you, Jesus, because you're beautiful. Father, would you do it? Would you do what only you can in us and through us? And would you make us a people like you? A Beatitudes people. And Father, in that, we pray that we would indeed stand for your truth. But may we do it in the way of Jesus. Speaking and loving and moving throughout this world in such a way that his beauty is displayed and people are drawn in in what we say and in what we do. Father, make us a people who aren't surprised by persecution, but who are ready for it and who embrace it when it comes. We love you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.